Hello, please let me see your ticket stubs for the double-edged double bill. Tonight we explore all 50 shades of evil within Treble Productions. week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I am Thomas Mariani, and this episode is already $50 million over budget. Yes, and I am Adam Thomas, and I have a crippling gambling addiction, and that is what caused that. Yep, you gambled away our surprisingly expensive budget for this podcast. I mean, our audience can hear it. Like the crystal clear Lucasfilm level audio, that's perfect. Right. The dogs, the dogs that are in the background. The, I know the baby birds chirping. We add all that. That's not real. Well, no, it is real, and we actually like import these dogs from internationally, like everywhere. It's it's crazy. They're, they're bald eagle babies. That's what I have. <laughs> Endangered bald eagle babies. Yes. Oh. Yes, for sure. Um, so, for those of you who are new, welcome uh, to our lovely banter. Uh, basically. What we usually do here is each of us, at the end of our previous episode, has two movies that are either two good movies, two bad movies, and we end up selecting a double feature of varying quality based around a topic. And our topic for this week, in honor of X-Men Dark Phoenix coming out, is Troubled Productions, which that movie has had Troubled production in terms of there's been a lot of reshoots, it's been delayed several times. Uh, it also is a lame duck of a movie, where it's like, oh, it's the new movie in the X-Men franchise. It's like, but we all know this is... The last movie of the X-Men franchise. Right, but without any fanfare about it at all. Yeah. Oh, yeah, at all. Well, you know what? I'd argue, though, that New Mutants is probably even more troubled. Well, yeah, right. Uh, We would have probably delayed this until August when this was supposed to come out for the third time, New Mutants. But then it's like, oh, wait, no. It got delayed again. (laughs) So I don't want to tie it to that one. We know at least Dark Phoenix is coming out to theaters this weekend that we're releasing this. And I could not care any less yep as someone who has like the amc stubs thing where i could go see movies willy-nilly i have no interest in seeing that shit wow see yeah no i would probably do the same thing i'm gonna skip it i do not care apocalypse basically ruined that franchise for me and i just don't care also why would you even bother after logan logan is like such a great finale to that whole series just perfect swan song yeah why even bother retelling a story they've already tried to tell before in the franchise? I don't mind the idea of doing Dark Phoenix again. It's just more an issue of doing it in this rushed way where, like, oh, man, you know how in that series and the comics or on the TV show, like, when the Dark Phoenix thing happened, you, like, cared about Jean Grey? Well, Sansa Stark, you loved her in Apocalypse, right? For the five scenes she was in in Apocalypse, so now you care. Right, exactly. Woo! I don't care it's a bummer too for me because i really like uh first class and days of future past i loved days of future past yeah i thought both those did a really good job of like really integrating all the older stuff and having a new swing on things and yeah apocalypse just fucked all that up all of it 
I mean, Apocalypse yep. shit the bed so hard. Much like my choices tonight. But, you know, in general, Trouble Productions, as a film nerd, is something that I gravitate toward so much. I love hearing stories about, like, a movie that has such strife that it either it explains why a movie was so bad, or it's a miracle that it worked out as well as it did. Like, my other choice for the good choices was going to be Mad Max Fury Road. And when you hear the production stories about that movie, it's insane how, like, a decade of time was spent trying to make that movie. And everything from, like, 9-11 to horrible, awful rain in Africa caused that to almost not happen. Fucking so, Toto. You blessed the rains too much? What have you done? No, I agree. I, I always like seeing the finished product, whether it's for good or bad. I, I'm a big fan of reading about the Trouble Productions, but I I more gravitate to the, the what-could-have-been movies. Those are, to me, like, oh, man, but... The thing about the trouble, like even our choices tonight, one of them definitely is a what could have been that shouldn't have been made. And one of them is what the hell was he trying to make? <laughs> because what we got was insane. Yeah, well, we'll definitely get into that as uh, our good pick is The Evil Within and our bad pick is Fifty Shades of Grey. Or all Fifty Shades of them. Uh, but let's go ahead and get to our first feature, which is The Evil Within. A dream is a story I tell myself, right? Well, if it's a story I tell me, how can I trick myself? You think someone else is telling you these stories? Someone like... I control your dreams. We have to stop the nightmares. We have to fix our brains. So, The Evil Within uh, came out April 4th, 2017, um, was directed and written by Andrew Getty, uh, who is the grandson of J. Paul Getty, of the fucking Getty Oil Company, which might explain why uh, the movie has sort of a weird tragedy to it, because uh, that follows that family pretty hard if you've ever seen, like, All the Money in the World or heard anything about those right. people, yeah. The fact that this movie, it didn't begin production in, like, 2002, that's insane. Same, Thomas, already. Well, yeah, especially, I'm sure, when a certain person shows up for one scene in this movie, your mind was probably blown. Where it's like, this person's been dead for 10, 15 years. McGrory? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Well, no, no, fuck that. I'm watching this movie. This movie came out in 2017. I'm looking at Sean Patrick Flannery from the Boondock Saints 1. Not Sean Patrick Flannery from the Boondock Saints 2, where something happened. And I'm like, wait a minute, what the fuck? Yes, so... A bit more backstory on this. Uh, Andrew Getty, as I mentioned, son, uh, grandson of J. Paul Getty, had inherited a lot of money from that obvious illustrious fortune and decided to pour all of it into making a movie. He apparently loved movies. Uh, he was especially a big fan of horror films. And so he made this movie, which was um, partially based on his own nightmares, um, which explains oh, a lot, yeah. probably. Because <laughs> this movie is like a surreal, horrific, weird nightmare of a movie. Which is why I personally would consider it maybe not a great movie, but at the same time, an endlessly fascinating one, especially when you consider the production of it. Knowing the backstory just adds so much more to it, too. Right. I mean, this movie is the methamphetamine-fueled nightmare. I mean, it's insane. And I do, I, well, I don't know if, you know, whoever believes it or not, but I do suffer from bouts of, like, sleep paralysis and things like that. And there are scenes in this movie where I'm like, oh, it just got under my skin, man. I mean, and this movie took a turn. 
I don't I mean we'll get into it, but that I was not thinking it was gonna go. I mean, this movie is a fucking trip, man. I, wow. I'm glad you picked this, man. Yeah, because um, it's relatively obscure. Most people don't really know about this movie because it kind of had like a weird rush release when it did eventually come out. Since like a bit more about the production, Andrew Giddy was making this for about 15 years in his mansion. He shot it between 2002 and 2008. And there were a lot of issues that happened during production that mainly involved like he had a lot of sort of personal conflicts with people on the set, probably because he was a meth addict. That would probably do it, sure. Um, and funds kept drying up uh, between investors and his own personal fortune. Um, he actually was buying film equipment instead of renting it and just keeping it in his house, <laughs> along with building a fucking post-production studio in one of his, the rooms of his mansion. Um, and Michael Berriman had health issues, and apparently... Matthew McGrory's health also kind of affected this. I would assume he was probably going to have a larger role, which would make sense. Like, I could have believed he was probably going to be, like, the character Michael Barrowman plays at some that point. That would have made a lot more sense, yeah. Right, because he literally just pops up in one scene. You're like, what? The-? In a really weird movie, that is the weirdest scene. <laughs> yes. That's probably the weirdest scene. That and when the chick bends backwards. Well, I mean, that's... But that's weird in terms of, like, something that makes more sense for this movie versus that Matthew Gregorio scene comes out of nowhere and has no bearing on anything else. Well, it totally makes sense in the context of the movie. I guess, yeah, because the basic plot of the movie in of itself is um, we we follow this guy, Dennis, played by uh, Frederick Haller, um, who has at least when we initially see the start of the movie, some kind of developmental disorder, it seems. He can't quite communicate with people, and they treat him as sort of like a mentally handicapped kid, basically, in the story, as he's taken care of by Sean Patrick Flannery, and he has a girlfriend, Dina Mayer, who is kind of like, I, I want to move things up with you, but I can't really see myself being with you while you have essentially albatross around your neck that is this brother of yours. And uh, Frederick ends up sort of seeing a version of himself in this mirror that his brother gives him um, that acts on much more sort of serial killer disturbing impulses and doesn't have the same sort of awkward speech patterns as uh, the main one does. And that's the best I think I can do in terms of a plot synopsis. Because <laughs> from there, this movie goes buck-fucking-wild. Yeah, I, I'd say it's pretty accurate. The first ten minutes of this movie, you're like, what the hell is going on? Yeah, and also... Dina Meyer, whatever. I mean, most people probably know from like Starship Troopers and one of the Saw movies. Mm-hmm. What a bitch character. Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to propose to me while you got still got your brother around. Wait a minute. Jesus Christ. I mean, granted, you find out what happens later and that explains some of his guilt or whatever. But even before that, like, that's an awful thing. That is an awful thing. Terrible. Yeah. And you, by the way, you can also tell this movie was made in, like, the early aughts with the uh, throw around of the R word. There's there's that. Also, I think we can freely admit the worst parts of this movie are the scenes with John Patrick Flannery and Dina Mayer. Like in... As far as acting and caring about what's going on and everything else, yes. Like another weird moment that happens in this movie that's just sort of awkward. What the fuck is Tim Bagley's character the guy they meet at, like, the fucking and cafe. Book, the bookstore or whatever? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, very bizarre. Why are the Sklar brothers in this as the two cops? Well, and did you also recognize the other cop? No. The other cop is Don Stanton of, like, the two twins who were, like, in Terminator 2 and Gremlins 2. 
Oh, okay. So they just went for twins for some. Oh. Well, that's the weird thing is though. Dan Stan isn't in the movie though. Only Don is. That's very bizarre. That's what I'm saying. This was like a meth head's fucking just weird what a manifesto put on screen. <laughs> it's it's so hard to really like describe this movie. When the movie first started, and he's describing his dream as a child, going with his mother on the scary ride, which by the way, Michael Berryman in a fake wig and mustache is hilarious. Yes. It... <laughs> but then when he's like, oh, this is the dream I had last night, and it gets into it, and blah, 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 and then they show him at the picnic. He's like, by the way, I have to apologize for the way I speak. You know, it's a little crude to what I sound like in my head. And when he spoke, and it was clear that he was mentally challenged, I was like, holy shit, hey, this is not something I've seen in a movie before Mm -hmm. and B where are they going to go with this? Because this could be borderline offensive. Oh yeah. (laughs) I did not take it as offensive. I I think a lot of that is on Kohler who is like sort of a character actor who has kind of like a boyish. Yeah. He is quite good in the movie in both parts where he's basically playing off himself, especially with the mirror. Like there's a scene where he's um, sort of got the mirror. He's holding it up. Where he's laying on the floor. Yes. Yeah. God, so good. Yeah, and I think it also helps that they kind of explain away, like, if he actually had a mental disorder of some sort, I think it'd be a lot more offensive than what they do come up with, which isn't great. Oh, it's kind of silly, but I get it. Right, it at least um, explains some of that stuff away. But yeah, he's really good, and he carries the movie, because it's mostly told from his perspective. And it feels like, even though I don't believe, I tried to do as much research as I could on Andrew Getty, he didn't apparently have any sort of, like, specific mental disorder, except, you know, meth addiction. This movie, there's something in this guy's past other than that. Well, I think it might also just be, well, there isn't quite like a, you know, direct correlation to Frederick in terms of like the mental disorder necessarily. There is a real palpable sense of loneliness. And I think that really seems to be, especially considering he was making most of this movie by himself. Like he apparently was, despite having like big parties and shit, he would often seclude himself a lot. Yeah, he, like, locked himself in his house for, like, five years editing. Yep. What? And he, <laughs> I mean, that's insanity. And he also made all the animatronics you see in the movie, which are incredibly impressive for, like, homemade animatronics. Dog, that song that plays when they go to that pizza joint was one of the <laughs> creepiest things I've ever heard. Yep, those animatronics are also really fucking creepy. Terrifying. Yep. I will say this, though. This is a very, very original take on, like, the birth of a serial killer mythology. That I did not expect it to go that route. I expected it just to be, you know, him haunted by the mirror or whatever, which, I mean, it kind of is. But I didn't expect it for him to become a fucking multiple murderer. I mean, very, very original. That's one thing I can honestly say about this movie over and over. It's very original. There's no other movie quite like this. At all. Um, but, but at the same time, you can still see some of the influences. Like, there's a lot of stop-motion stuff that reminded me a lot of... I forgot the name of the animator, but he's, like, this Russian stop-motion animator who did, like, the weird late 80s Alice in Wonderland movie with all the, like, taxidermy animals. Oh, good lord. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a lot of vibes of that. But this, but in a way that, like, really works, this movie has such a weird homemade feel that's incredibly disturbing. Like, you mentioned the opening bit. When they go through that carnival ride of a haunted house, that is so creepy. It's like you're in the back of that fucking mechanical, shitty haunted house, right? Right, and then it repeats the the same, like, art on the wall, like, twice or three times. Yes. And instantly I was put it on ease. 
I'm like, this movie? I was like, ah, what am I in store for? Within 10 minutes, I walked out of the room, told my wife what I've already seen. She's like, oh, my God. I'm like, yeah, this is about to be a fucking trip. And it was. It definitely was. I first discovered this around 2017 when I used to write for a horror site. And I, at the end of the year, I would do my top 10 horror movies list. And I would always try and come across something obscure and that like a sort of jam that I wanted to spotlight. And this was when I heard about just the basic premise of like, oh yeah, this was made by a weird reclusive millionaire dude who died from like an ulcer from his meth addiction, which is literally how Andrew Getty died in his mansion. And then, right. And the producer ended up like coloring it and finishing the editing and stuff. And I was like, okay, that Which sounds interesting. Yeah, it definitely does. Especially because like how many of the scenes are just isolated in that mansion. You can tell like there's just a lot of free space. Even like the pizza parlor thing looks like it's in a huge house, not an mm-hmm. actual building of any sort. And I remember watching this and it felt like I, and I still feel this way, like I discovered a really grimy, filthy journal that I shouldn't be reading. Yeah, that's accurate. I really, really enjoyed this movie until probably the last quarter of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, once it got to like Sean Patrick flannery's in the chair at the end and they're doing the puppet show and everything then i just like it just became a to me a typical how is that typical though no it just it felt it started to feel a little formulaic to me i I really couldn't disagree with that more because that whole puppet show is fucking terrifying i'm not saying the puppet show in general Yo, Dina Meyer's eyes and mouth was terrifying. Well, that's the thing. The, uh, they initially have the setup where he's like um, a ventriloquist and Dina Meyer's on his lap after he's murdered her and hollowed out her skull to make her into a fucking ventriloquist okay. puppet. Well, that's what it's like. When he's coming in and out of the mirror and killed the cop and all that stuff, I'm like, this is just... Yeah, that stuff's stupid. I agree. When it gets more obviously supernatural, as opposed to Michael Berriman as a presence in this movie is so much more interesting as, like, a sort of... That's Michael Berryman. Well, right, Michael Berryman, but also it's, like, a horrible visage of his psychology. It's just this sort of, like, weird nightmare creature that lives in the mirror that he can only really see. That's so much more fascinating to me than, like, oh, we're gonna have him, like, fucking come out and kill people and stupid shit like that. That's yeah, that's, that, that's what I'm saying. That that kind of lost me a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, it, it, honestly, it, it maybe soured the end of the movie for me. Even though... Yes, it was creepy with the puppet show and Dita Meyer and everything, but that just was so against type from the rest of the movie to where all of a sudden it turned into like a supernatural slasher. I'm like, oh, no. I mean, I agree that those scenes don't work, but I'm so won over from the moment we get the close-up after he's doing the little puppet show ventriloquist thing with Dina Meyer, and you see the close-up of her, and her eyes look like fucking fish eyes, and there are clearly fingers from coming out from inside of her mouth. Scary as shit. Yep, horrifying. There's so much, like, weird taxidermy imagery that just really gets to me. It's just, like, this... How much hollowed-out shells of people are in that whole puppet show scene. And how gullible is Sean Patrick Flannery in this movie? I mean, extremely. He's fucking stupid. (laughs) He's totally stupid. He's down the basement. He smells a rotten smell. He finds books on tapes of taxidermy and forensics... And his brother, who is slow, tells him, oh, those are put in my bag by mistake. Oh, okay, buddy. (laughs) Well, those aren't his books. No, no, he's doing carpentry. What? What the fuck? (laughs) Like, dude, 
there's something wrong here. Yeah. You smell rot death. You maybe want to check that out. Yep, especially when he's literally got, like, a giant refrigerator full of, like, little kids and animals and whatever other shit, dead bodies. Mm-hmm. But for real, Frederick Kohler, really good in this movie, man. Really good. The only other thing I know him from is fucking the Statham Death Race and, yes. like, one or two of its sequels. He's really good in this. It didn't come across offensive when he was playing the mentally challenged version. Right. He was doing it with respect, and I, I think that's, A, obviously very important for the character, but B, kind of refreshing, because how many times have you seen a non-mentally challenged person play a mentally challenged person, and it's just like, what? What are you talking about? I Am Sam is the best movie, Adam. <laughs> Johnny Knoxville, The Ringer. <laughs> well, that's a weird thing where, like, that's part of the plot of that movie, is that he's not... Yeah, so offensive. It's really bad. It's no, it's really bad still. But anyway, <laughs> to to get back to, uh, I, I agree that I think Frederick Kohler does such an impressive job, especially when he is the serial killer version of himself in the mirror. Um, he's unsettling. He's like a Damien Omen kid grown up, and playing off of himself in that way, where he has authentic, sort of horrible, disturbing evil, but at the same time, this really guilty innocence as the opposite side it it really does carry the movie and he was one of the few people who was involved consistently throughout production because of how many people left and how another big thing um a personal assistant who was on the movie sued for lack of funds and that really shut down the production too that's insane frederick kohler really really sold it especially like when you said he was a serial killer and you know, he's looking in the mirror, but then they did the silly shit in the ice cream shop where he came out the vent and he was like upside down. Wait a second. Is he completely supernatural or? I'm more assuming that it's part of his sort of weird psychosis that at this point, like the bigger sort of like dream logic things that happen like there just feel more like it's what we're kind of seeing from what he perceives himself to be at that point. That could be the case, but they never do it again. Other than that one scene. Well, maybe that also explains some of the stuff with, like, the Sklar brothers and shit like that for how he... Maybe. And some of the other stuff. There is a lot of, like, leaps of logic, but once again, meth head, director, writer. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Kind of sells that point a lot more. Um, And I think also it, it does such a great job of really making sort of fears that you have of, like, when you're in your room and everything's dark and you see a light cascade and you think there's some kind of creature there when you're a kid. There's a scene where that happens with Michael Barryman. And... Oh, the pile of clothes? Yes. Oh, get the fuck out of here. I am... <laughs> I almost shit out my penis. I was so scared. <laughs> like, good lord. Mm-hmm. That's happened to me so many times I was kid. I don't know how many times I've seen something in the corner of my room. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> and I look and it's just my dresser. Yep. Like, oh, great. I'm still tough, though. And then go back to sleep. Like, it, dude, that's the shit that worked in this movie so well. The, dude, the Hall of Mirrors scene was terrifying. Especially where, like, they have the the one version that looks like Frederick Kohler, and he's like, where are you? It's like, oh, I'm just a few dimensions down. <laughs> Look into Oblivion and find me, and Michael Berman's, like, in the middle of Oblivion. <laughs> oh, my God, what the fuck? Yep. And then he's like pulling his fingers off with his teeth and they're instantly regrowing. Yep. I'm like, this guy's had some shitty fucking dreams, man. 
Like, this is terrifying. That could have not come from anywhere but somebody's nightmares. Right, yeah. It, it definitely feels like... And that's the, sort of the tragedy is, despite Andrew Getty clearly having a sort of unstable personal life, he had a real talent for just creating, especially, like, the practical effects stuff in this movie, is phenomenal. Terrifying. Yeah. It's so scary. Like, that giant spider, that fucking fake-ass Chuck E. Cheese... That song and those puppets were so scary and unnerving to me that I'm like, I want to see a whole movie about this now. <laughs> like, it's like it's it was... like Five Nights at Freddy's, but really homemade. Yeah, dude. It, oh. But and, and it's what's weird is like that's already unsettling, and then the movie transitions into the bathroom scene, which we kind of referenced, where basically after he had killed this um, ice cream parlor woman that he had an attraction for, um, uh-huh. Frederick Kohler. I guess maybe kills somebody or that's maybe a dream because they kind of imply that with like all the stuff that happens at the pizza parlor at this point is that it's kind of a dream sequence thing, but it's still terrifying where like he kills this guy in the bathroom and then he exits and that woman is there and she's like, Oh, you know, what's keeping me together still is my skin. Look at it. It's not even a bruise. It's not even a hurt. It's my skins and the meat. That's all I am. And then she does like that fucking weird exorcist spider crawl. Yep. And her like her body like twists in a way where like her boobs are like on the on her back. Yep, on her back. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And then, but then he did it so well to where it's like they're running down a hallway, but you only get the round circles of light where it's like a spotlight from above. Yeah, every six feet. I mean, it was just so bizarre. This movie, to me, displays potentially what a nightmare really looks like. There's a lot of people who try and do nightmare imagery, and sometimes that can feel like a crutch, um, and sometimes it can feel like... I mean, fucking any of the later Nightmare on Elm Street movies. They get so stupid and silly. That's exactly what I was thinking the second time. Just like, whoever is doing the new Nightmare on Elm Street needs to watch this fucking movie on a loop. I agree 100%. Yeah. Because this movie is just straight up unnerving nightmare fuel mm-hmm. compared to like, you know, you laying on a beach and all of a sudden there's a shark, but it's a it's Freddy's glove is the fin, you know, whatever dumb bullshit. But Freddy had sunglasses. It was cool. <laughs> he did have sunglasses. So it's super cool. The nightmare sequences in this movie are so unnerving. Towards like you're watching, be like, yeah, maybe I'd never had this particular nightmare before, but I could see this being a nightmare. The reason we're having a hard time explaining is it's kind of like a nightmare where you have it and then you wake up and you're like, oh my god, I had this horrible nightmare, and you're trying to explain your people around. You're like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> and how smart was it that he even says that in the movie? Like, how do you explain it to somebody? It's just a story to them, but to you, it's something more. How do I? Like he's explaining on camera that I can't describe my nightmare because it's my nightmare to you. It might just be a silly story, but there's no way I can probably describe this. I don't think I really got a jump scare out of this movie. I was definitely more unnerved. Yes. Than anything. That's a great just description of like what you're going to go and experiencing this. Cause any other horror movie, it's like, Oh, you're going to have a lot of fun with it or, Oh, it's going to have some spooky atmosphere. This movie's just like, you're going to feel dirty watching it you're gonna yeah this isn't a fun movie no i would never call it fun but it's it's just endlessly fascinating like obviously with the clear moments where it feels amateurish it still never feels 
unprofessional because of like just how much craft is going into it at the same time. No, it's very competently made. The yeah. whole thing is competently made. Mo- most of it is. Like I said, the stuff with Sean Patrick Flannery and Dina Mayer, like that, that well, scene. because, yeah, no, they suck. Well, they suck, but also the, the staging of it is so awkward. Like, I love in that scene where, like, they explain the whole backstory reveal that Sean Patrick Flannery ended up throwing his brother down when he was a kid down the stairs, and that's what caused him to be this way. Tim Bagley is in the background of that entire scene, and you're like, why? why? Right, no, I agree. <laughs> I agree. Uh, but I guarantee you, in that fucking meth head's mind, there was a reason. And we'll never know. And that's, I think, what also makes the movie that more mysterious and creepy, because who the fuck knows what this guy was thinking, and we'll never have answers. Like I said, the last quarter kind of lost me when it turned into a supernatural slasher, but until then, it's fucking creepy and unnerving. Right, and uh, like we mentioned, so unique. That's so rare, especially in the horror genre, to find something truly unique, a diamond in the rough. They're just like, I can't believe that this exists in any form. And this movie really is that. And I think even after like some of the like supernatural stuff that happens, just that puppet show at the end where he just displays all the wrongdoings that happened to him. And that one caseworker lady turns into a spider made out of human limbs. Adam, that's fucking conchable. That's Silent Hill shit. <laughs> I mean, that's fucking Robo team nightmare fuel if i ever seen it i agree with that too if you're also a fan of the silent hill games this is another like definite recommendation to watch a hundred percent this could be in the silent hill franchise oh and by the way speaking of games it's not tied to the evil within game no yeah we should have probably said this at the top yeah it's not tied to the evil within games and also with that confusion and just in general with the movie that's a lame title yeah yeah, it's stupid. Yeah, then again, the original title Andrew Getty was making it under was The Storyteller, which also might not have been the best title at the same time. Might have been better than Evil Within, but then if you run into the problem where if it doesn't sound like it's a horror movie, then nobody's going to watch it, who are horror fans. Because that I mean, sounds like a fantasy movie, The Storyteller. Yeah. You could just call it, like, The Nightmare, and it might honestly be a better title. Just anything... Within. The Nightmare... Yeah, what? sure. Nightmare with... You know what? We we got the perfect title. We need to re-release this movie with that title. Um, I mean, we could easily replace it with, like, that fucking opening credit title shot is, like, the lamest thing in After Effects. So stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and comes right off the bat like a fucking sucker punch. Like, oh, oh, what the fuck? Yeah, I love that that's the first image and anybody watches the movie is like, oh, what the fuck is this going to be? And then that opening nightmare scene happens and you're like, oh, wait, what? Oh, no. <laughs> you know, actually, before we go into final thoughts, we didn't talk that much about the Matthew McGrory scene, which is such a bizarre bit that also does have this sort of unreal nightmare edge to it where you keep seeing Sean Patrick Flannery visit his psychiatrist who he keeps meeting with at a restaurant at a certain point because he can't afford the actual therapy sessions. And he just sees a guy who kind of looks like him from behind. And he's like, oh, let me just tap him on the shoulder and say, hey, what's up? And he does that, and they have immediately a shot of Matthew McGrory, who you might recognize as, like, the tiny from the Devil's Rejects. And, yeah, the giant from Big Fish. Right, yes, from our previous Tim Burton episode. He suddenly gets up, and obviously he was, like, seven foot two. So all of a sudden he's up wearing the exact same clothes and is weirdly very intimidating when he's talking to him. It's just like, it's I can't terrifying. believe. Yeah. Imagine like a, that dude 
like accosting you, just like you're ruining my fucking day. It's like, oh god, I'm gonna die. <laughs> gonna so die what, do you want to make a joke? What's wrong with you? Are you okay? Are you healthy? <laughs> you're like, oh my god, Jesus Christ. Which, by the way, uh, that's another thing too. Like, were Sean Patrick Flannery and Dita Meyer in some? Were they in the dark place at this point? Yeah, the, the, there's also that sort of plot thing where, like, a lot of the people who they know are disappearing, and it seems like... Wait, are replaced by weird, like, versions of the performers? Right, yeah, that feels... Along with, you know, just the awkwardness of Sean Patrick Flannery and Dina Mayer not being the best actors, there's also just that element of the movie feels the most underdeveloped, and the most probably, like, that he was trying to shape and edit in. <laughs> I think, and that's where it comes off the most kind of awkward and unfinished. That's the only time it ever feels like that, though. I bet you there's hours of unused footage. Uh, but yeah, it feels like that stuff's really unfinished, and it feels almost like we maybe didn't get a lot more of that stuff because Matthew McGorry probably passed away and all this other stuff. It feels like maybe he was going to be involved a lot more. But at the same time, if he was supposed to be the storyteller character, we lose out on Michael Barron, which... That's a dude who, obviously, you would recognize from, like, the original Hills Have Eyes, amongst other things. And this is one of the few, I think, really great uses of him. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think this might be the best use of Michael Behrman, other than, like, maybe, like, Weird Science, where he was a science teacher or something like that. Mm -hmm. Because, as we've both talked about, like, Hills Have Eyes, I am. He's so creepy in this. And the fact that his character name is Cadaver is so scary. <laughs> yes. I mean, what a scary name. And they didn't give him a lot to do, which I think worked. They played off the maybe minute acting skill he has and off his looks, obviously. And it worked perfectly. Yeah, I think especially by having the Frederick Kohler sort of like double act thing, I think does a lot. Him having literally doing most of the talking for Michael Behrman, I think, works. And when Michael Behrman does speak, it is unsettling. It is just like you are some sort of like weird creature bore out of somebody's inability to coexist with he, humanity he's very scary <laughs> yeah getty was playing on the shadow people idea mm -hmm. which a lot of people see with sleep paralysis or whatever whether you want to believe it or not doesn't matter but it is a a thing and it works it makes it so scary and so unsettling that's what makes this movie what it is because this fucking guy was a meth head recluse god only knows what the hell he's gone through in his life and so you almost like see his nightmares on screen and it's so unnerving and creepy and weird and i don't know that i would ever watch this movie again <laughs> yeah it definitely has that sort of like working for a dream feel where uh -huh. it is it's, it's like i said having watched it twice it still plays in a pretty interesting light but it's it's also in a way where like there are often times when we watch these movies where i can be a bit distracted you know our modern era like i'm i might sure, sure. pause watch a youtube video go on my phone occasionally that might happen this is one of those movies where i can't stop watching it uh -huh. the moment it starts uh -huh. because it does it's this weird stream of consciousness fever dream that you can't quite grab a hold of except you can and when you can it's even more disturbing and i think it's it's one of those things where uh, there are many times when i hear about a troubled production where it's like oh i wanted like a behind the scenes documentary we've said that even about movies that are bad on the show where it's like a couple times right yeah. yeah the enigmatic part of it that you're kind of referenced about like we, we might never know about the origins and stuff of this 
yeah. nightmare stuff makes me be like, no, this movie doesn't need any context. It's kind yeah, of I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Right. It's it's kind of like a David Lynch movie in that regard. Very uh, eraser headish. When it's like, I don't want to know what any of this means. <laughs> I don't want to know what that baby was made of, David Lynch. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, for sure. But I mean, I, I guess we're, we've kind of just done final thoughts unless you have anything else to say before we move forward. Fuck Dina Mayer in this movie. I'm sure she's a nice lady in real life, um, but her character she is awful. listen. <laughs> <laughs> no, this was a very pleasant surprise. This was one that I've heard about for quite a while. I would never tell somebody to watch this, so. Unless they were really into horror or psychological stuff. Because either they're not going to get it, or it's going to fuck them up too much. I mean, yeah, it's definitely a movie where the pitch is more about sort of that backstory (laughs) of the production. Which, like some people have said, I remember around the time like Boyhood came out, it's just like, oh man, such a boring movie. If if you didn't know any of the backstories of how it was filmed, you wouldn't care. But it's like, from certain movies like that that are super ambitious, or have this interesting backstory about it, that's kind of critical and I think yeah. better informs you about the movie necessarily in a way that it, it's not like a huge amount of context. Like with boy, it's just like, Oh, they filmed it over 12 years and this is this actual kid growing up. That's all you need to know. And then you're like, Oh shit. Right. That's, that's amazing yeah. that he did this. And it's a really authentic, interesting movie about watching somebody actually grow up on screen. But in this case, it also adds so much because on its own, if you didn't know any of the backstory, this would be just like a very nightmarish, weird movie that you're not sure, like, who came up with these decisions? But knowing that backstory, it almost becomes a fucking tragedy of a movie. And scarier. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. Yes, for sure. So, if, like Adam said, if you're a horror enthusiast who is able to withstand feeling completely uncomfortable in your skin, uh, go watch this. Oh, uh, yeah. That's the only way. If you were able to eat popcorn and have a soda while watching, like, The Road... <laughs> This might be up your alley. <laughs> Can we put that on the Blu-ray? <laughs> <laughs> that that deserves a Blu-ray quote for sure. But now let's get to a movie that was a, probably a bit more successful than this one uh, in terms of box office I receipts. Bet. Yeah, a, I bet. a bit. May have actually been shown in a theater. Um, it is Fifty Shades of Grey. Mr. Grey, we'll see you now. You do realize that he hasn't stopped looking at you. My tastes are very singular. You wouldn't understand. Enlighten me, then. I would like to bite that lip. I think I'd like that, too. Is this what you want? Yes, please. Did you turning it up a notch? You could say that. Rated R. So, yes, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, is a movie you've probably heard of. As uh, mostly a joke, uh, came out in February of 2015 uh, and is based on the novel by E.L. James that infamously started as a Twilight fan fiction called Master of the Universe. It's so Twilight. The whole fucking movie is Twilight. It's beat for beat Twilight. Yep. It, I was mm-hmm. I was fully aware of all that, Adam, because I had seen this movie before. Well, I never said I was aware of that. I, I thought I was going to go and see some like hot stuff. And I think you and I have more sexual chemistry than the two leads in this movie. Yes, though I want to say right off the bat, as just like a brief positive of this movie, I don't think any of that is on Dakota Johnson. I don't think any of it's on Jamie Dorman either. It's miscasting and just all the trouble that they had. 
Right. Because uh, in terms of the terrible production element of it, uh, this one is more an example of an adaptation being kind of taken over by the original creator when you have an actual screenwriter and an actual director involved who apparently had a grander vision. Where uh, This is directed by uh, Sam Taylor Johnson, wife of actually Aaron Taylor Johnson. Wow, I never realized that. Okay. Quicksilver. Are we calling him Quicksilver or are we calling him Kick-Ass? I'd go with Kick-Ass more. Yeah, I'm going to go with Kick-Ass. Because no Evan Peters yeah, he, he's more Quicksilver for good or bad. Yeah. <laughs> so she and the screenwriter Kelly Marcel had a lot more of like, oh, let's take some of the elements from the novel and actually make this, you know, a sleek, stylish thriller, which I also will say, having also seen the other two movies that followed this, um, I think this is the best directed of them. I think in terms of like, there's a lot of stylish stuff, like there's that whole scene where they negotiate the contract in that big red room. I thought that looked very stylish and very elegant in a way that also kind of hints at the, what is supposed to be an engaging back and forth chemistry. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I've never seen any of these movies. I obviously Mm -hmm. never read the books. This was probably the biggest chore for me to get through Mm -hmm. uh, out of all the movies we've watched. It's pretty boring, isn't it? But it shouldn't be. No. That's the thing. There's zero chemistry. Uh, and Dakota Johnson, I, I I don't know if it's true that you are, but I think you might be giving her a break, maybe because of like Suspiria or other things she's done where she's proven she's a, actually a decent actress, but she gives zero fucks in this movie. Jamie Dornan, who is a decent actor, gives zero fucks in this movie. it's just it's so bad and if you've seen twilight even the first movie which i've seen them all not to brag then you've seen this movie i mean it's literally beat for beat the same movie except that he doesn't sparkle and he's not a vampire and the latino guy or whatever you want to call him isn't a werewolf i mean it's it's what a shit crusted movie I want to go back to the Dakota Johnson thing where even when I saw this the first time and I wasn't really aware of her that much, I thought she was the strongest element to me because I would argue she does give a shit, but she is trying so hard to get past this material because this is her first big movie, even though she is somewhat, I guess, Hollywood royalty is not the, quite the term in that she's... I wouldn't, I wouldn't no, 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 but she's the um, daughter of Don Johnson and Melanie Griffith. And I think you can see a lot of their whatever chemistry they had kind of melding in with her in this movie. I would, I would argue that she is trying so hard to like make a good impression in a big Hollywood production like this, that she is giving off at least so much try hard attempts. I think that's the bigger problem is she's trying too hard and Jamie Dornan is not trying at all. Thus it's this horrible chemistry that we're talking about. I think Jamie Dornan is trying too hard to cover up his accent. He does that Benedict Cumberbatch's Doctor Strange thing where he over-enunciates a lot of words. Yeah, a lot of shit. Or Charlie Hunnam and, like, uh, which, speaking of which, he was originally supposed to be Christian, correct? Another production problem. <laughs> yeah, Charlie Hunnam and Sons of Anarchy where he over-enunciates everything. Like, yeah, you're British. And Dakota Johnson has this weird thing to where it's like, if you didn't know her mom was Melanie Griffith, but you said she was Don Johnson's daughter, you'd be like, oh my god, she looks exactly like Don Johnson. But then you're like, oh, she's Melanie Griffith's daughter, but Don Johnson's not her father. You'd be like, oh my god, she looks exactly like Melanie Griffith. Yes. Like, it's so bizarre. God, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry even to myself. I want to apologize to myself for a minute, because I chose this. Yeah. 
what what evil has man wrought? It's just a bad movie, dude. It's not even a good thriller. It's not even a good romance. It's there's there's nothing in this movie unless you want to see really toned down BDSM and Twilight fan fiction. The attempts at titillation and also just this could have been if they emphasized so much more on the weird, horrible, fucked up nature of this relationship just on like a chemistry level where Jamie Dornan so many times is bringing up like serial killer vibes as Christian Grey. Where he says things just like, oh, I want to control you. You are mine. All this other stuff that like on some level, if this was a horrible train wreck where it's like, this is utterly offensive, it would be more entertaining. But that just kind of like comes in and out of all the scenes that just happen where it's the two of them like staring at each other or doing really bad BDSM that's really boring. It's just, that's the biggest crime is it's so fucking boring. Nothing happens. I've never slept in a bed with a woman before you. I, uh, oh, you made me breakfast. Get the, what? Why is this interesting? At all. It's so stupid. The only thing that could have made this movie more entertaining is they would just let Jamie Dornan have his normal accent. How funny would it have been with his high-pitched Irish accent? This is my pleasure room. Come on, man. You're like, yes! Go into his pleasure room. <laughs> let, it, let Jamie be free. That's, that's all we want, really. Right. Let him be Fifty Shades freed. Uh, but, dude, fuck, what a boring movie. What a boring movie. And, and that's the thing, is it feels like, you know, some people often say, like, oh, this movie feels like bad fan fiction with other movies. This one is legitimately bad fan fiction because of how much padded out time there is. And what E.L. James is trying to go for is sort of like what you find in a lot of, like, sort of romance novels where it's like, oh, the sort of sexual tension is what really is supposed to get you off about this. It's just like, oh, my God, they're there's so much like rubbing off against each other that you're supposed to be aroused by that, but it's not arousing at all given the context that's going on. And even further with the context of these two actors, not giving a shit about each other. It's even, it's, it's a fucking movie that's trying to pass off a wet towel as a really sexy blanket. (laughs) That's a good way to put it. Uh, I was thinking a sea rag as a sexy blanket. It's obvious they hated each other. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's 100% obvious that, like, Jamie Dornan knows he was, like, the fourth choice. <laughs> <laughs> he just knows it. Right, I guess hashtag my Christian, is he? Yeah, right. <laughs> because that was what, we, we mentioned the Charlie Hunnam thing, that he was famously cast originally, and all the people on Twitter, all the Fifty Shades fans, like, hashtag that my Christian. Christian. Right. And then all of a sudden he dropped out because, oh, scheduling conflicts. Sure. Yeah, I bet that sure yeah although charlie hunnam might have maybe might have worked for him i mean the guys whatever it, it it's it's so boring and it's so not sexy the thing is like th- this type of movie should be like a basic instinct or something like that where it's supposed to be just full of you know sex and tension and not at all or even at least something that like does have a lot of that sexual tension but is maybe a bit more stripped down like the movie i kept hearing everyone compare it to when this came out was secretary uh, secretary oh get the fuck out of here yeah oh my god did you like secretary i never actually saw it secretary is kind of fun because of james spader and and that's the only performance i like gyllenhaal in 
Uh, well, no, but what I'm saying is that that was the movie that people kept comparing to, and, like, this is the way better version of that movie. Oh, no, I completely disagree. I, I completely disagree. Because uh, Secretary at least had two... No, uh, no I, I'm sorry, maybe I'm not wording this right. They're saying that was the better version of Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh, oh okay. Well, then, yes. I Then I completely agree. <laughs> uh, no, Fifty. this movie, there's nothing going for it. There's nothing. I mean, granted... Like you said, maybe the direction or whatever, but it's all so bland, muted tones, and it's just it's it's a terrible film. See, that's I guess more coming from having seen the other sequels, which I want to emphasize. The reason I've seen all those movies is because I watched them with friends and had fun making fun of them. Oh, sh- uh, yeah, which is sure. the only way to possibly ever enjoy these. Friends made a box of Franzia. They were people that uh, were there in my mind. They were you're right. Boxed <laughs> wine and like smoked meats. Yeah, my friend's just like the one in the mirror that looks like me, Adam. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, but but no, I, the thing is, having seen those other movies that are so much more clear, like E.L. James completely piloting the ship, and she got her fucking husband to write the scripts for them, oh and apparently they're quite faithful to the books, and they're, it's even worse with like the relationship between Dakota Johnson and Jamie Dornan, where like they are so gritting their teeth through, like, oh, we're together now, because this movie ends with a stupid cliffhanger of, like, oh, they're in the elevator, and, oh, they're separated from each other. And then about, I think, 30 minutes into the second movie, they're like, oh, we're together again. Uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> and the, I, I, I can tell you right now, I watched all the Twilight movies only because of how fucking big they were, so I'm like, I gotta see these. This is one of the only trilogies that I would re- Fuse to watch the other two. Right, because, like, Twilight at least has, like, weird stuff that keeps you entertained. Like, New Moon, despite how awful it is, is hilarious. That is a hilarious movie to watch. Michael Sheen. Oh. <laughs> He's so funny. He's so over the top. I mean, especially in the, the crowning achievement of that whole series is the Breaking Dawn Part 2 weird, like, forward flash of the future where they have the battle and everybody gets murdered. It's so cheap. It's <laughs> such a cheap thing to do, but it's so funny. <laughs> it's this weird random, like, it's almost that like the movie has a contempt for its main audience where it's just like, oh, I guess we're going to give you the ending you want, but first we're going to completely cripple you small teen girls. We're going to completely cripple all of your fucking love for this by having all these people die right in front of you. <laughs> and it's all, it's a dream. And about this movie is the people have read the book, my wife being one, of course, they really neutered the book Mm -hmm. to make this movie. And my thing is, just don't do it. Well, well, yeah, especially considering that, like, when I first heard about the books, like, this was obviously, like, such a cultural, like, joke that was going around. It's just, like, like, there was that great video where they had, oh, it's the audiobook of Fifty Shades of Grey as read by Gilbert Gottfried, one of the greatest in videos maybe ever made. Um, Like, the thing is, I was sold on potentially seeing this movie in a fun, bad way, where it's like, oh, it's gonna be, like, all of that weird, stupid, like, inner goddess dialogue, and they cut all that shit out. Yeah, it's just... So it becomes just a bland mess. I mean, it's just such boring fucking shit to where, like, even the points where you're supposed to feel connection, like, when she first meets Christian and does her interview and then she goes out in the rain to cool off because she's so hot. You're like, I don't believe a second of this at all. 
And I am so mad at myself for picking this. To the point where, like, this almost feels like, in the way we compared the previous movie to a David Lynch movie, this feels like a David Lynch movie, but without any of the weird artistry, like, in it. Because all the characters mm-hmm. act like it's a weird dream, but it's a boring dream. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a very good point. That's exactly what it feels like. Nobody's committed. God damn it, I hate this movie. I hate this movie. <laughs> I tuned out for this like you did with Chun-Li. Like, I had to be reminded to watch this movie. Like, I was like, did you notice that part? Did you see that part? Like, don't be wrong. She hated the movie, too. But she's watching it with me. She's like, oh, hey, look. And I'm like, oh, what? (laughs) I had to rewind it, like, five times. It's so bad. Yep. And uh, it's almost as if, like, we keep spurtering, because that's also the problem, is that as a movie to discuss, it's just a lot of, it's boring. This is the lamest movie to fucking talk about on the show. Because after you get past the, like, oh my god, it's Fifty Shades, and oh, it's BDSM, oh, and he's acting like such an asshole, there's not a lot, and it's like two hours and ten minutes fucking long. Yeah, and there's nothing in it. No? Nothing happens. There's a helicopter ride and a contract. And the thing is, like, in the sequels, it's even weirder. Like, weirder things happen in there, but it's also just as boring. Like, in the second one, there's this whole plot where this former lover of Christians keeps showing up to Anastasia as, like, a fucking ghost but she's not a ghost. She's a real person who's stalking Anastasia. Almost like how Bella saw Edward as a ghost in the second book. Kind of, but like I said, it's a completely different character. You mean to say that they kept ripping off other material for these movies? You know, Adam, that might that might shock you, especially when in the third movie there's a kidnapping that happens. Oh, you, you don't tell me that. Not you, Thomas. Well, and I mean, plus they clearly ripped off the Twilight scene that involved um, sex with ice cream in the third one, too. That happens. Jesus Christ. But even in this movie, like, you need to stay away from me. He tells her right off the bat. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah. There's something about you. I can't stay away from you. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 sure. The, uh, the, the tan guy who's been in love with her forever shows up. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. So I'm literally watching Twilight, but without even vampire shit. Yep. Like, this is just... You couldn't even give me that? No. This is just... This is atrocious. This might be the most boring movie we've discussed. Yeah. It's boring, but also, it's not in that way we've talked about with other movies like Chun-Li, where it's like, oh, it's going to be completely forgivable. Like, I have completely forgotten Chun-Li in every single form by this point. Where yeah, I don't remember anything that happened in Chun-Li. Yeah, and we're about, like, four episodes away from when that happened. Um, versus, <laughs> right. uh, there's still, like, it, this movie is memorable, but in a way that enrages you about how much you wasted your time. Because you remember back yeah. to stupid scenes that happened. Um, so thanks, Adam, again for doing this i, I really appreciate hey, man, it I, i'm sorry i really fucking went at you with both barrels uh it was either this or lone ranger but lone ranger uh, there's so much more to talk about there's so I know. much more hey sam picked the number blame him yes it's your previous guest sam protection fuck you you're the real enemy of this yeah you piece of shit sam protection However, fuck you, Sam. Yeah, I hope you like King of the Monsters, you piece of shit. Uh, anyway. Yeah, fuck you, Sam. <laughs> we love you, Sam. Please come back. Um, do we even need to do final thoughts? I think we, we're pretty clear. No, it's garbage. It's boring. Yeah. Don't watch it. Yeah. If you had any curiosity, don't bother. 
Yeah. Yes, and that's on that total fucking whimper of a note. That's the end of our discussion on our two movies for this week. Um, before we pick our movies for next week at the end of the episode, stay tuned for that. We uh, have some feedback to read because every week on the DEDB Pod Facebook and Twitter page, that's the handle, um, we ask you all on Mondays every week about like, hey, what's your favorite, least favorite related to this topic that we end up doing for the show, and. Amongst the people who um, said things here, one is that uh, Brian Kane says, um, is there a director as cursed as Ridley Scott in terms of Traveled Productions? Every story I hear about working with this guy is a nightmare. His insane ramblings about Blade Runner are a blast. And bless the rains over Scotland that delayed the shoots for Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban because it helped the movie become the most visually distinct entry in that franchise. Uh, best overall, in my opinion, too. Um, James Rodriguez says, It's astounding that William Friedkin's Sorcerer ever got made, but I'm forever grateful such a gripping experience is available to watch. I'm less grateful that the pathetic waste of cellular that is accidental love shambled its way to a release. Uh, Tyler Thompson says, Every DC movie ever. Um, Elwood Tiberius at Elwood underscore Tiberius on Twitter says, uh, Terry Gilliam's many attempts over the last 30 years to adapt Don Quixote, resulting in a documentary on the development hell, and eventually the man who killed Don Quixote last year. Uh, Matthew Anderson at Matthew 0581 says, I'm still fascinated by Alien 3's travel production, especially when a soon-to-be great filmmaker would be screwed over the moment he signed on to do the project. And Joel Copeland at Real, R-E-E-L, Joel Copeland on Twitter says, I got two great examples for you. First, Kenneth Lonergan's Margaret, which was mangled in post-production, then found itself... Um, in litigation that didn't end until three years after it was released. Shot in 2005, finally but barely released in December 2011. And then second example, the 2012 animated disaster Food Fight, which was initially conceived in 1999 and its actors did all their voice work in 2003-2004. It was then stolen in an act of corporate espionage and subsequently rebuilt over the course of the next decade, thanks to insurance. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm going to go right off the bat and, and say, uh, yeah, Ridley Scott, that fucking guy. And the thing is, Trouble Productions or not, is it because of him, though? And I, I'm tending to think it is. I bet he's really hard to work with. Yeah, he seems very prickly. Yeah, a little bit. So, I mean, yes, the guy has given us Blade Runner and Alien and things like that, but he's also gave us fucking... Prometheus and that Christian Bale Moses movie. I can't remember the fucking Gods name and of it, Kings. I, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he gave us that. I mean, but to his credit, in terms of the travel production stuff, like we were mentioning the Gettys earlier, um, all the money in the world is an achievement in terms of how they managed to get Kevin Spacey out of it and put in Christopher Plummer. And you don't feel it in the movie. Which should have just been Christopher Plummer. Right, he originally was uh, allegedly Ridley Scott's first choice, and then it's like, no, let's get Kevin Spacey, nothing could go wrong. Even before all the horrible shit that happened with Kevin Spacey, I'd take Plummer over him any day. Right, because if you see that original trailer that came out, and they put all that makeup on Kevin Spacey, it looked terrible. So bad. It looked so bad. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, and and then, but in any case, like it's so incredible considering that happened a month before the movie came out, uh-huh. and they end up getting that same release date. <laughs> and didn't Plummer get nominated? I mean, yeah, which so much of that is clearly because of the production story about hey, come in here for like a couple days shooting very quickly, and hey, man, doesn't matter. 
Way to go, Christopher Plummer. No, way to go. Yeah, he's also, he's the best part of that movie. He's incredible. But, uh, I mean, some of these other ones, like, we talked about Terry Gilliam and his production issues on this show previously, and how often that happens. Have you seen it? Has it been out? It's not out, it's that weird thing where, like, it came out theatrically as, like, a Fathom event for, like, one night, and I wasn't able to see it that night. So, but it also hasn't been released, like, on VOD or anything yet. But the the soonest it does, I'm gonna see it. Well, of course, me as well. Yes, um, uh, and we've talked about the production of Alien Three elsewhere, Adam. Uh, but yes, we did. Yes, like the, the whole Alien. And f- I'm a huge fan of that movie. Right. Yes, and uh, I have my issues with it, but at the same time, um, the director's cut version, especially that work print version, is very interesting. And I mean, if you have ever seen the Alien quadrilogy, like box set, which anybody who's a film fan should have that box set. Uh, I agree. It's amazing. Um, all of those movies, to some degree, had a terrible production. Even Alien and Aliens had mm-hmm. like various production issues. With like Alien had the obvious Jaws problem of like, oh, we actually put the alien suit out there and it looks shitty, so we have to severely edit it out of the movie, and it worked brilliantly. And then Aliens had a lot of like onset tensions with the uh, director and the crew given Ridley Scott wasn't involved with that one. And then Alien 4 is that weird thing where, hey, let's get a French director who does quirky movies to do this sarcastic Josh Whedon script um, completely sincerely. Such a bizarre train wreck of a movie. But you know what, though? I love that movie because of what a train wreck it is. That movie is so bizarre and weird. It's crazy. But I love it. Yeah, um, you know, we might be discussing Alien in the near future, so put a pin in that, everybody. Wait, what the fuck? Ah, uh, what? Maybe. I don't know. Um, it's the 40th anniversary of something. Who knows? Joel, like, his descriptions, I haven't seen Margaret, but I have heard about that production. That is bizarre. But Food Fight is one we've heard about. We even almost picked it at one point, yeah, I think. we've talked about it before. Al- yeah. Almost, but we haven't dis- discussed it on the show. I-, I don't know that I can. Thank God it never got chosen. Yes. Fuck that movie. It, it, uh Are you aware of Accidental Love and what went on with that one? No. Accidental Love was a movie that was directed by David O. Russell, but production kept stalling. And it was, like, originally shot in, like, I think 2009 and didn't come out until it was, like, dumped on video in, like, 2014. And David O. Russell immediately insisted that a pseudonym be attached to it like an alan smithy sort of deal yes exactly and like the whole premise is it's like um kate uh i I believe it's kate beckinsale was the lead is this woman who gets a nail stuck in her head at one point non-fatally oh yes i know right with jake gyllenhaal in it again yeah oh boy (laughs) yep apparently it's an awful train wreck um that (laughs) i well i can't say zero interest I have interest in seeing it uh, like you would have interest watching open art surgery. To dissect it and see exactly what happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I want to see the gore. I can't imagine that's good. No, it's apparently a really bad comedy, especially. But um, are there any other interesting uh, troubled production stories for you, Adam, that might not have been mentioned here? Uh, you know, Terminator 3 and Terminator Salvation always pop in the head. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, all the Terminator movies post-T2, they're always problems. They yes. don't know what they're doing. Anything pre-MCU that was Marvel always had problems. Mm-hmm. Anything post-MCU that Marvel didn't own, there were always problems. Ridley Scott's a really good choice, though. 
for, for probably the guy who's dealt with the most shit. George Miller, mm-hmm. you got to figure, we talked about Fury Road. He also had Justice League for a while. Right. That just was casted, sets were built, everything, and then just pfft, shit the bed. We almost had Army Hammer as Batman because of that. And DJ Cortrona as uh, Superman. Yep. Common was Green Lantern. I wouldn't have minded that. Adam Brody is the Flash. Actually, that one I also wouldn't have minded. God damn it, Thomas. <laughs> Look, the other ones are not great choices. Need Army Hammer's admitted, like... Army Hammer, he's awful. I don't think he's awful. I think he's been good in other... Like, I, especially Call Me By Your Name convinced me he's actually quite a good actor. He's been in other... Like, even the, the man from Uncle, I thought he was good, and he's been good in other things. Yeah, but J. Edgar and Social Network. I love him in the social network. I think he's amazing in that movie. Well, you and I are going to fight. Well, put up, put up he's your dukes. Ranger and he's terrible. So was everyone else in that movie. Johnny Depp is even I worse in that movie. Johnny Depp, I believe every second of it. Uh, I still haven't seen that movie. I heard Army Hammer was actually kind of good in the Lone Ranger uh, in comparison to Johnny Depp, which... I haven't watched Johnny Depp movie since his cameo in 21 Jump Street. Yeah, that's the last sort of small beacon. <laughs> we got <laughs> tattoos on our dicks, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I just wanted to also throw in, in terms of like with Terry Gilliam, a spe- another specific one, that this guy has so much, and this is probably the roughest one, was with the Imagineering of Dr. Parnassus. With Heath, oh, Heath Ledger dying fuck. midway through, but then doing a really interesting thing of having like the three people, like Johnny Depp, previously mentioned, Colin, uh, Farrell. Colin Farrell, and Jude Law playing the different versions of him in the imaginary world. I thought was an ingenious choice and actually really worked for that yeah. movie. Yeah, I agree with you. And by the way, I just shit all over Johnny Depp, but big ups to all three of those for donating, giving all their salary to his daughter. Yeah. That's pretty ballsy. And even without that, it's also, that's an underrated one, I think, of Gilliam's filmography. Yeah, I agree. I think that's kind of a fun one. You know what? I, you know what's so funny about that is I know a lot of people I've talked to who get the imagined you know, Doctor Panasius confused with the uh, fucking Dustin Hoffman, Mister Megorium's Wonder Emporium. Yes, they're both really weird titles. Yes, <laughs> people are like what that fucking Hoffman movie. Like, no, god damn it, he doesn't own a candy shop. This is the one with the most ingenious casting no one ever thought of. Tom Waits as Satan. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Why did no one ever do that before? That's so great. But anyway, uh, thank you for all that feedback. And we also want to thank a few other people. Uh, thanks to Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used on the show. Listen to more Fist music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Emily Scarda for the art that we use. Uh, she accepts commissions at 502rs.com slash eescarda. I also want to thank some people who let me appear on their podcasts as of recent. Uh, I was recently on a previous guest, Sarah Sorrentino's show, We Forgive You, uh, with her and Alex Fernandez, where we talk about Pan, uh, which was a pretty fun discussion. Is that that fucking Hugh Jackman flick? Yeah, the Hugh Jackman, Peter Pan movie. Yeah, I never watched it either. And it's in a boring, McBoring face, like the young Captain Hook. Uh, Garrett Hedlund, yes. Yeah, that's him. Boring, McBoring face. As we talk about doing his Indiana Jones impression throughout that whole movie, it's really bad. I forget. Uh, sakes. Yes, uh, it's, 
bad movie fun discussion. So listen to that episode. And I previously mentioned The Horror Returns um, on our last episode, but the, the episode of their show where I talk about Brightburn and Superman the movie with them uh, ended up getting delayed. So it is available right now for you to download. Um, and we also talk about how, speaking of Twilight, uh, Robert Pattinson is a much better actor than people are giving him credit for since he's now officially Batman. Officially. And I am going on record right now. I'm down. Yeah. I think it's going to be good. I, I'm totally, even if it's not good, at least it's something fucking different mm-hmm. for God's sakes. But I think it'll be good. I think he's, if they're going the route that uh, Matt Reeves has said they're going as a young Batman, as a detective, as whatever, then I think that's a very, very solid choice. He's the first actor to ever be cast as Batman where I'm so much more interested to see him play Bruce Wayne than Batman. Actually, I'm going to disagree with you. I'm more interested in his portrayal as Batman. If it's going to be phony, like gruff, like tough, or it's, I, I, I'm very curious. I look if it was between him and as they said Nicholas Holt, I'm going Robert Pattinson all day. Yeah, um, and you should definitely see uh, if you're out there screaming us like, but Twilight, Twilight, Twilight one. It's been seven fucking well, years since he played Edward. Grow up, grow up. And two, um, watch any of the movies he's done since then, especially Good Time. He's amazing in Good Time. Oh my god, he's so good in Good Time. That was the movie that convinced me, like, oh, this guy's actually a great actor. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but also like Lost City of Z or High Life, one of my my favorite movie right now of this year. Um, he's um, really incredible in that too. I haven't seen that yet. But but yeah, uh, we we talk about that as well because Lance Langford was like, I don't know about do uh, him being Batman. Fucking Lance, <laughs> fuck Lance. He doesn't know what he's talking about. But, uh, I'm shut up, Lance. Not to spoil the episode, but um, uh, he ended up uh, maybe changing his mind a bit because he actually watched some of those movies that we were talking about right now. Yeah, still though, now that makes me hate those movies. Fuck you, Lance. Thanks for having me on the show. Go fuck yourself, Lance. Um, and you can find us on Twitter or Facebook at DEDBpod. As I mentioned previously, that's where we post our little questionnaires about favorite and least favorite for a topic. And you can also email us with feedback at doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com, all spelled out. And you can also find me on my own individual account at not the Who's Tommy on Twitter, um, where I post my musings. And I also write reviews over at marianithomas.wordpress.com amongst other things, and we post the show's episodes uh, every time there. I have a Godzilla King of the Monsters review up right now. Um, I didn't hate as much as some people did, though I completely get it. But you can read all about that there. And you can find Adam looking in a mirror at a duplicate of himself. Adam, are you okay? You, you okay over there? I'm good. The mirror keeps coming on to me, though. Like, apparently I'm that good looking, which I had never known. Nobody ever told me how. I never learned to read signals. <laughs> um, and for more content like that, uh, subscribe to us on iTunes or whatever other app you're using, especially considering that Tim Cook's apparently destroying iTunes. Like, this just came out as we're recording this, about Tim Cook and Apple's dissolving iTunes. Uh, but you can also find us on Stitcher or YouTube or Spotify, any of those other apps that will still be around, most likely. Hopefully. Yes, Hopefully. Or else, what is this all worth? Yes, what what is it all worth? Um, I guess whatever Apple podcasting app uh, is going to end up coming out of that. Hopefully it works, unlike the current one. Sure. And whatever... Technology, I agree. Technology. (laughs) Technology, good. Also, uh, make sure to rate and review us on whatever one of those platforms are, or at the very least, share the show with the people you love. Yeah, man. Come on. 
I have like 1,500 friends on Facebook, and I don't know 1,450 of you. Just throw out a fucking share. I'm not asking for anything. You'll do some silly little artwork, and I'll share it. I'll do whatever you want. Hook me up. Once. <laughs> you fucks. <laughs> All right, Adam. All right, we got to. We're running out of gas here, so let's definitely get to our picking for next week. And because a certain movie called Shaft is coming out, oh god! I guess you can't dig it. No, I don't dig it. <laughs> that trailer looks really bad. It looks like a really bad it's, comedy. It's terrible. What a terrible, terrible idea. Yes. Um, but anyway, but uh, the main star of that movie is Samuel L. Jackson, who is somebody that's been in movies for the last about 30, 40 years or so now. Shit, I picked Richard Roundtree movies. Is it just Shaft and Shaft Goes to Africa? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, we're doing a Samuel Jackson episode, and it, it's weird, especially considering, did you know that dude's 70 years old? Oh my god, I did not know that. He looks phenomenal. That dude was 46 when he did Pulp Fiction. Holy shit. I know. <laughs> he looks great. He always looks at least 10 years younger than he actually is, which is amazing. Dude, no, you, I don't look at him now and think, oh yeah, he's 60. I look at him now and be like, man, that guy's pushing 50. He's like six years younger than Richard Roundtree. Oh my god. <laughs> And the Gulf. And Rich Rauchy plays his dad. Yep. That is insane. Yeah. But yeah, so we're doing a Samuel L. Jackson episode, um, which, of course, he's an actor with a large, infamously large filmography. He's in so many goddamn movies. And uh, you have the two good movies for that, Adam, and I have the two bad. And at the end of every show, uh, you've assigned your two movies numbers between 1 and 10, and I've done the same for mine. And each of us will pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to get closer to whatever good and bad feature. So for your two good movies, Adam, I'm going to pick number 5. At number 4, I have The Caveman's Valentine. Okay, this is not one I've seen. I purposely did not do Tarantino or Marvel movies. One we've already discussed and one we might discuss in the future. Right. So at number four, at K-Man's Valentine, which I've only seen it once, and I saw it a long time ago, and I really liked it, so who knows if it holds up. But I think that could be fun. At number nine, I had Black Snake Mountain. Yeah, that's also one I actually haven't seen. Oh my god, Thomas. <laughs> oh, I don't know if I can, we can do this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, can you at least pick a number between 1 and 10 for my two bad choices, Adam? I I don't know. I don't know. Uh, uh, eight. Okay. At number seven, I had 2008's Jumper. Oh, motherfucker. <laughs> I knew that was going to be one of the choices. Oh, god damn it. Okay. And what was your other choice? Uh, my other choice, number two, which I think you might have been off worse with this one, was John McTiernan's Basic, which stars Samuel Jackson and John Travolta. Uh, 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 <laughs> you are going for the fucking gut this time, too. 
Yeah, so I either get Samuel Jackson and Hayden Christensen or Samuel Jackson and John Travolta. In a non-Pulp Fiction context. Fuck. <laughs> All right, well, this is going to be interesting. Yep, uh, two that you wouldn't normally kind of pick. Because also, in a similar vein, I avoid Star Wars. Oh, yeah, no, I did too. Right. So, the caveman's jumper. So, what is he wearing, Adidas? God damn it. Now, spoilers for the title of the episode, Adam. Jesus Christ. Hey, just put on the Adidas. That'll be the new episode. Uh, you, All right, go. you know what? This this entire episode is such a bust. It's such a disaster. We're shutting down production. Shut it down. Shut it down. And everything. Long live the giant condor. <laughs> <laughs>